fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Wise friends will rescue you. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Admiral Jim Stockdale was the highest ranking officer ever to serve in the Hanoi Hilton. He was a prisoner of war in this famous POW prison. He lived in that prison for seven years. More than 20 times in his time there, he was brutally tortured. The amount of constraints that he was under during his time in that prison were overwhelming. But by his account, he came out of that experience a stronger person. But here's the thing. He never knew when he was in there when his time in that prison was going to end or if it ever would end. Every day when they walked by his cell, there was an opportunity for them to torture him yet again. We can survive a lot of things in life, can't we? If we know if we just know that there is an end in sight. Because in some way, when we know that, we feel like there's at least a little bit of control that we have in that situation. Jim Stockdale had none of that. There was an interview that Jim Collins did with Admiral Stockdale in his business book, Good to Great. And I wanted to read a little bit of that to you. Because Jim Collins wanted to know, how did you, Admiral Stockdale, how did you live through that without coming, becoming completely depressed? Here was his answer. He said, well, you have to understand, it was never depressing, because despite all those circumstances, I never ever wavered in my absolute faith that not only would I prevail, get out of this, but I would also prevail by turning it into the defining event of my life that would make me stronger and a better person. Not only that, Jim, he says, you realize I'm the lucky one. And Jim Collins was like, help me understand, how are you the lucky one? And he said, yes, I'm the lucky one because I know the answer to how I would do in that circumstance and you never will. He asked another penetrating question. He said, who didn't make it out of those circumstances in that POW prison? Stockdale said, oh, it's easy. I can tell you who didn't make it out. It was the optimists. Jim again says, I am confused, Admiral Stockdale. Help me understand. And he said, the optimists, yes. They were the ones who always said, we're gonna be out by Christmas. Christmas would come. And Christmas would go, and then there would be another Christmas, and another. He said they all died of a broken heart. But then Stockdale grabbed Collins by the shoulders, and he says this. This is what I learned from those years in the prison camp. With all those constraints that were so oppressive, you must never, ever, ever confuse on the one hand the need for absolute unwavering faith, that you can prevail despite those constraints, 
Don't confuse that with, on the other hand, the need for the discipline to begin by confronting the brutal facts, whatever they are, we're not getting out of here by Christmas. Stockdale said it plainly. They died of a broken heart. It was the optimists that didn't make it out. This is what we need to hear from Jim Stockdale. Getting through difficult things in our life is a lot more than self-help and positive thinking. The key is that we've got to face the brutal realities of the things that we are facing, but have the courage to realize there is a greater purpose even in these things. I share this story about Jim Stockdale with you, not because we want to study him, but because we want to study scripture. And what he is talking about is an echo of a principle that is deeply rooted in scripture. We need to trust God in the midst of difficult circumstances. The proverb that we're jumping off with today is Proverbs 13, 12. And here's what it says. Hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. That's what Stockdale was talking about. That hope deferred, I'll just get through this one day, one day, one day, without facing today and seeing the greater purpose. Now, I don't think anybody in this room probably ever was or maybe ever will be a prisoner of war, but you're facing things. Can I just say one thing? 2020. Are we facing some things? I could show meme after meme after meme of how people are thinking about 2020. It started out probably with just the normal challenges that we all have. And you add on top of that a global pandemic. You add on top of that the tension of racial injustice in our country. You add on top of that a contentious political season coming up. It is having a toll on the lives of people. The statistics are staggering of what's happening in the hearts and the minds of people. The level of anxiety and the number of anxiety disorders are off the chart. Not just tweaking up or trending up, but multiples of what they were before. Levels of depression, multiple times what they were before. Suicide rates through the roof, domestic violence. All of these things facing our country, facing people inside and outside the church. People are trying to figure out how to cope in the midst of this. You know what the greatest coping mechanism has been? Substance abuse. Online alcohol sales up 243% since the pandemic started. People are doing anything they can to try to medicate, to try to cope, to try to find hope in the midst of the storm. Now, there were probably cracks in people's lives, in all of our lives, before this started. But you start adding the pressure of the things that are happening in and around our culture, and it's taken many people to the breaking point. There's these storms in their life and in this world, and they're losing hope. Their hope is shaking. Maybe your hope is shaking today. Maybe your faith is shaking today. Maybe you're starting to see even some cracks in your faith as you look at all the things that are happening in your life and around the world. Because here's what happens to people of faith and to people outside of faith. When difficulty happens, we start asking questions. We start asking questions of God. Sometimes those questions start out with like, God, God, where are you 
in the midst of all this. God, I feel so alone. I feel so abandoned. Where are you? And it seems like I I read and I hear that you are loving and caring. God, I don't feel your love and your care right now. You feel so distant to me. And I hear in your scriptures that you're powerful, that you could accomplish anything. God, are you powerless to help me right now in the midst of the things that I'm going through? We start asking questions of God. You know what? We also start asking questions of ourselves. Because if it's not God, maybe it's me. Like, God, did I do something wrong? Am I being punished for some reason? Am I being disciplined for something in my life? God, this all just feels so unfair. When we hit these storms in life and things start shaking, we start asking questions because oftentimes we think that something is wrong. God, are you asleep at the wheel? Are you missing something? The next thing that I'm gonna say to you might be the most discouraging thing that you're gonna hear but you've got to hear it because it's true. And it needs to give you context for all the storms that you're facing in life. This is what's true. God promises storms in your life. Can I say that again? God promises storms in your life, even if you love him. Here's what Jesus said. And I want you to know that I and we around here, we take the words of Jesus very, very seriously. Here's what he said, John 13, 33, John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Previous to that, he was talking about the sending of the Holy Spirit, that I'm gonna be with you. My presence is going to be with you. And in that, you can have peace. But here's his promise. In this world, you will have trouble. You know what that means in the original language? In this world, you will have trouble. It's a promise. Now, I know this is not a promise of God that people want to tattoo on their arm or we get bumper stickers made, but this is a promise of God. But here's how Jesus follows that up. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. I heard a woohoo out there. Here's what we oftentimes think. Jesus is talking about peace and hope, and he's talking about trouble. And we kind of imagine that those two things are mutually exclusive. If I'm going to be experiencing peace and hope, trouble in this life needs to be far from me. But here's what Jesus is putting together In what he just said, peace and hope can exist at the exact same time that we are experiencing trouble in this world. But the question is, how? How do we do that? How do we not just try to wait it out when we're in the midst of the storms of life? Here's what the proverb said. I'm going to say it again. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. It's true. None of us likes waiting. We don't want to wait for anything. We want stuff right now. 
mean, I, I remember back probably eight years ago, the first time that we signed up for Amazon Prime, like, was that not, not the most amazing thing ever in the whole world? You, like, hit a button, and then a couple days later, free shipping, it shows up at your door. It was insane. It's just like, stuff just comes so fast. Eight years later, that doesn't feel as fast to me anymore. You know, some, sometimes they even miss it, and it's like three days or more. I mean, I want to hit my button, and I want to hear a doorbell right after that. I want my stuff now. And so do you. We don't like waiting for things. And when our expectations get delayed, and they get delayed for a long time, our longings, our prayers that aren't answered, it can lead to disappointment. It can lead to disillusionment, depression. It can lead to a loss of hope. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. So how do we have hope in the midst of storms? I want us to reflect on something that the writer of Hebrews says. In Hebrews 6, 19a, this is what he says. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. He says we have hope, but there's two terms they use, anchor and soul. We've got to have an anchor because we have a soul. And you all know what an anchor is. You've all seen an anchor. Maybe you've seen one on Popeye's arm, or you've seen an anchor like this. What is the purpose of an anchor? An anchor is to keep the boat steady in the midst of a storm. You need a good anchor in the storms of this life. But here's what you also know about an anchor. An anchor is only as good as what it is attached to. This anchor needs to go down through the darkness of the water, and it's got to grab a hold of something that is stronger than the storm. That's what we're looking for, grabbing a hold of something that is stronger than the storm. You need a good anchor. Why do you need a good anchor? Because you have a soul. You have a precious vessel that needs to be attached to something solid. When God breathed life into Adam, made humans, that wasn't just about breathing oxygen into lungs. It was about breathing an eternal soul into Adam. He made us as eternal beings. We're different from the animals because we have a soul. Because you have a soul, you actually wonder, why am I here? Because you have a soul, you're wondering, what what is my ultimate purpose in life? Where is my life going? Because you have a soul, you wrestle with right and wrong. Because you have a soul, you actually deeply value the lives of other people. It's our soul. It's what God breathed into that eternal soul that separates us from all of creation, but it also unites us with God. We have a precious soul, and your soul needs an anchor. It needs a hooking point. It needs something that you attach to, that you grab a hold of in the storms of life. Today, I want to look at three different promises of God 
plans and purposes of God that we can hook our anchor into during the midst of the storms of life. We need to believe that it's God's plan and promise that even in the midst of storms, he wants to do something in us. Our first point is God's plan in us. James 1, 2 to 4 says this. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance finishes its work so that, so that, meaning this is the purpose, this is the plan of God, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's what James is saying. We can have hope. We can have purpose. Even in the most difficult storms in life, when we understand and know that God is powerful enough to use those things for our good and to grow us and to transform us and to make us mature and complete in him. God wants to do something spectacular in your life. He wants to transform you. But the thing that can be so counterintuitive to what James is saying to us is that the path to that transformation, the path to that change is through the storm. But this is what we have to keep in mind when we're in the midst of those storms. We need to understand that this is God's grace at work. That might seem a little bit counterintuitive as well. You're thinking, God's grace seems like a good thing. It doesn't seem like that would happen in the context of a trial. But God's grace simply means that God is doing something for you that you cannot do for yourself. There are things that God wants to develop in your life that you can't accomplish on your own. Only he can do that. And the difficult thing is that God uses storms started to think a little bit about my own life, just thinking about the history of all the kinds of storms that I've walked through and weathered in my life, and asking the question, God, what were the things that you continually did in me in the midst of those? Here's one of the, some of the, a couple of the things that God revealed to me in those moments. One is that he showed me my self-reliance. God used storms to show me that I was dependent on something other than him. You see, we were made to be dependent upon God. We were made to have him be the king of our life. We respond to him. We listen to his voice. We say yes to him in obedience. We are dependent upon him. And also, we're interdependent with one another. We need one another. Here's what I find in my life when things are going well. Sometimes when things are going well, I find myself thinking, God, I got this. I'm doing really well right now. You're great, I love you, but I got this. And sometimes I start to think, I don't need people. I'm killing it right now. But all it takes is those waves to start to grow and the storm to hit and start to pound my life. And I begin to realize I'm relying on myself. I am not dependent on them. My anchor was in something other than God. And here's what happens. In those moments, that causes me to look up and remind myself who it is that I'm dependent on in life. 
C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, oftentimes, pain and storms in life are God's megaphone to us, to remind us that we are dependent upon him. And this is why the apostle Paul can say things like, it's in our weakness, it's in the midst of the storm that we're actually strong because we're realizing our anchor needs to be in something stronger than us. And we put our hope in him. A second thing that storms continually surface in my life, besides self-reliance, is my self-righteousness. All it takes is a storm and the heat in life to get turned up in my life and the temperature start to rise that I start to see some things floating around in my life that aren't very pretty. When things are difficult, that's when I see things like impatience in my life. That's when I see things like fear and worry and anxiety in my life, irritability, anger, even doubt toward God and his goodness toward me. Those things are surfaced in me in the midst of the storm. God wants to use the storms to surface things in our life. When I was younger, uh, a mentor of mine, he grew up, uh, his dad owned a foundry, and so he worked with metal growing up, heated metal. And so he would take metal and they would put it in these big cauldrons and they would heat it up to really high temperatures. And as soon as the temperature started to get hot, hot on this metal, the metal would get soft and it would start to melt. But they didn't stop there. They continued to turn up the heat. And as they continued to turn up the heat, what would happen is the impurities in the metal would start to float to the top. They called that slag. There was this slag that formed this film across the top of the metal. And that was his job, is he took a skimmer and he took it across the top of the metal and he took the slag and he threw it to the side and got rid of it. And he would just keep skimming the metal. All the impurities that were coming up because of the heat, he kept skimming it off. Not because he hated the metal, but because he loved metal. And he wanted the metal to be different. And this was the picture that I loved. He shared this. He said, you knew that the metal was pure when you stood over the molten metal and you could see your reflection. You could see your reflection in the metal, the molten metal. Is that not a beautiful picture of what Jesus wants to do in our life? He wants to root out the impurities in our life, the things in our life that are keeping us from looking like him. And as he turns up the heat and allows those things to rise to the top, he wants us to skim those off so that we begin to look more and more like him. And when he looks at us, he sees himself in us. Here's what you've got to hear about the challenges that you are facing in your life. It is not just the circumstances. In fact, your circumstances are probably not your biggest challenge. Probably your biggest challenge is the sin that is living in you that God wants to deal with. And it's in the midst of the heat, it's in the midst of the storm that God actually is able to surface those things in our life. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that God uses hard tools to create a soft heart in me. 
And I know that that's what he wants to do in your life as well. There's gonna be hard things in your life that are gonna shape a soft heart for him. But God doesn't just bring storms in our life to do something in us. God actually brings storms into our life because he even has a higher purpose of how he wants to do something through you, through your life. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Listen to this. Who comforts us in all of our troubles so that, so that, here we are again. This is the purpose. God comforts us so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. God wants to comfort you in the midst of the storm so that as you begin to understand how he does that, you can actually be a comfort into the lives of other people. You see, if you are a child of God, if you've bowed your knee to Jesus as your king, he's invited you into the building of his kingdom, into the building of people. God wants you to use your life for the sake of others. And here's what he's gonna do. He's gonna use the difficult things in your life. He's gonna use your weaknesses that you've walked through. He's gonna use some of those hard challenges that you've walked through with him to be the way that he allows you to minister in to the lives of other people. Here's oftentimes how we think, though. We can think, I, I, I have a checkered past. You don't understand the things that are in my past. You don't know what those are. You don't understand my brokenness. You don't understand my wounds. I don't. I don't know everything that's gone on in your life, but I do know that he does. And what he's telling us is that that doesn't disqualify you from being an influence and a comfort in the lives of other people. What he's saying is that this makes you a prime candidate. God can use you because of the hard things that he's done in and through your life. I just wanna be really honest with you. When I stand up here, I just wanna tell you, I feel no pressure whatsoever to make my life seem like it's better than it really is. There are some pastors that have actually said to me, don't talk about your weaknesses. Don't talk about your struggles. People will use it against you. I think that's hogwash. My weaknesses, my struggles, my pain, the things that God has walked me through are probably the best, most beautiful thing that I actually have to offer you. That's what God wants us to understand. Even in our brokenness, he can use us. I remember what it was like. I've shared bits and pieces of this before. Many of you would know that I actually came to faith in Christ as a college student. Uh, a couple of years into my college experience. And uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but you can make quite a train wreck within the first couple of years of your college life if you're working at it. And in some ways, I felt like I was kind of working at that. But Jesus met me in a very real way. He changed my life, set me on a different trajectory to where when I got done 
with my college time, I just thought, I feel like I want to be a part of helping other people. I want to help other people come to know Jesus. So I went on staff with a ministry on the college campus. But here's what happened. Not too many years uh, after I was living far, far from God, I'm on the campus as a campus minister. And you're always running into people that you know. And what's the question? Maybe guys ask this more than gals, but what's the question that we always ask each other? What do you do? What are you doing right now? And so I would have these conversations with people that I knew from way into my past, and they would ask me what I'm doing, and I would just say, you know, I'm actually working in campus ministry right now. And you just see their eyebrows kind of go up, because I mean, they've got pictures of me in their mind. They're just thinking, really? Really, they will let people like you do campus ministry. That's, they didn't actually say that, but you knew the bubble above their head. That's what they're thinking. And for so long, I hated those conversations because it felt like they were just wrought with guilt and shame from who I was. But you know what? Over time, I began to realize that this was something that God used powerfully in my life. It was knowing what it was like to be lost and lonely, trying to fill my life with anything that this world had to offer outside of God, knowing what that felt like motivated me to get up every day and tell people about who Jesus was and what it was that he had done for them. Because I knew I had those wounds, I had those scars, and I knew that if someone would just tell them There are lots of people that would jump at the opportunity to have that kind of a relationship with Jesus. God uses our brokenness. I could identify with people who were lost. Sometimes people that hadn't had that experience, they would look at decisions that students were making on the college campus and they would just kind of shake their head and disgust, judgmental. Like, what are they doing? Why don't they make better decisions with their life? They rolled their eyes, but I cried because I knew what it was like. I identified with them. Their pain had been my pain. And I think for 20 years, God used that to help me be a person that could help them come to know Jesus. God uses our wounds as a part of our ministry. You've got to ask yourself, are you willing to use your wounds for the sake of others? Those wounds that you've healed from, are you willing to be a wounded healer? God wants to use you. The last promise that we need to anchor our soul in is God's plan for us. Friends, God has something prepared for us. Paul says this, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So here's what he tells us to do. He says, so fix your eyes, not on what is seen, not on the things that are happening in front of you. So fix your eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, 
not built by human hands. What's Paul saying? What's the big takeaway? Paul wants us to understand there's more. There's more than what you see to this life, way more. God has something great prepared for you, planned for you. And this life, friends, it's like a vapor. It's gonna be here today and it's gonna be gone tomorrow. What Paul wants us to have is a longing for heaven. And that longing for heaven, that reminder of what God has prepared for us will make us live well today, live for things that matter. Sometimes that longing for heaven, like it can create like an escape mentality in some people. Like we just think about heaven all the time because I just wanna get out of this world. That is not what Paul is talking about here. He does not want us to think about heaven so that we're not engaged in the things that are happening in this world. He wants us to be reminded of the beauty and the glory of what's prepared for us so that we can be willing to sacrifice and to give our life for things that are eternal now. Friends, this life isn't all there is. But can I be honest? Some of us are living like it is. Some of us are living like this is all that there's ever gonna be. I've gotta have all the money. I've gotta have all the possessions. I've gotta have all the pleasure, all the experiences, and I gotta have it now. Paul is saying, no, because of what the promise of what God has for us, we can lay those things down and we have the freedom to sacrifice for the sake of things that last forever, forever. And there's not very many things, friends, that last forever. The scripture gives us a pretty short list. God's gonna last forever. His word is gonna last forever. People are gonna last forever. So whatever we do while we're here to take God and his word and invest it into the lives of people, it's about eternity. You can live now for the sake of eternity. One of my favorite movies, I didn't realize how old this movie is. It's from 2000, the movie Gladiator. Some of you young kids don't even know that there was a movie Gladiator. You should be ashamed of yourself. The movie Gladiator, there was one line in that movie that I love where he says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Now, I know it's not scripture. It's just Russell Crowe, but it could be scripture because the principle is sound. Friends, you're investing your life in lots of things. Are they eternal? Are they things that are gonna last? What are you anchoring your life to? As we kind of round things out, coming around third, heading for home, I want us to go back to the book of Hebrews. Because I want to finish what I wrote because the writer of Hebrews tells us really specifically what the ultimate anchor is in this life. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, Now, here's the rest of the story. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, 
has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let me explain a couple things. You might not catch all of that. He's talking about a curtain. What's the curtain that he's talking about? In Solomon's temple, between the holy place and the most holy place was a huge, thick curtain. No one could go into the most holy place. Priests could go into the holy place, but no one dared enter the most holy place, sometimes called the holy of holies, because that's where God's presence was. Nobody could go in there except once a year. Once a year, the high priest would go behind the curtain into the holy of holies to offer a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice for all the people. That's the picture that the writer of Hebrews wants us to have. Matthew, in his account of the death of Jesus, he records one line that is so powerful. When Jesus breathed his last, Matthew tells us that that curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. What does that mean? That means Jesus, his blood sacrifice, death on our behalf, gives us the opportunity, the privilege to move toward the presence of God. Jesus took the storm for us so that we could have peace with God forever. Jesus was the high priest, but he was also the sacrifice. He gave his life for us. And his invitation, friends, his invitation is the same now as it was then. He invites us to trust him. He invites us to follow him, to put our faith in him, to make him our king, to bow our knee to him and trust that what he did for us that day on that cross when the curtain was torn in two gives us the opportunity to have access to the presence of God forever. Surrender to him. Follow him. The question that we have to ask, every one of us, what are you anchored to? I mean, really, what are you anchored to? What are you trusting in? When you get up in the morning, what are you thinking about? Is it the things of this world? Is that where your trust is? Is that where your hope is? Is that where your anchor is? Because friends, our anchor has to be, it has to be in the promises of God. Because the question is never whether or not God is gonna keep his promises, he will. The question is, are we gonna anchor our lives in his promises? I love what the apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.10, we have put our hope in the living God. Paul said that hope, that anchor for us, it is in the living God. Jesus and Jesus alone is our living hope. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. 
If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.